Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will continue on in the Bible series from the book of Isaiah with this message entitled, Great Anxiety or Great Peace. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 57. Now here is our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, we count it a great privilege to come into your glorious, mighty, powerful presence. You are our refuge, and we run into you, and we are safe. We praise you and thank you for delivering us from all our fears and all our troubles. Speak to us, O Lord, your good news. And may we trust in you. May we hope in you. Tune our hearts. And make our mind sharp. And make our will yielded. And make our emotions regulated by your word. Help us to receive comfort and peace from you. Multiply your peace like a river into our hearts that we will go out with great peace and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Our triune God is speaking to the people of the world through all troubles and all disasters. He's calling us to repentance. Jesus himself said, unless you repent, you all likewise will perish But he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to be saved. We all die either in the Lord or in our sins. There is no other way to die. So the question ought to be, what must I do to be saved? The answer is clearly given in the Holy Scriptures Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and all your household. It is our choice, peace or anxiety. It's your choice. It's my choice. Life or death. And you are brought here this morning that you may choose peace and life and joy. We must decide now, now we are living. Now we hear the gospel preached to us clearly in our own language. So let us hear the word of God as recorded in Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah 56 through 66 describes the life of the righteous servants of the Lord. And it is contrasted with the life of the wicked people of Israel. The church is always a mixture of true believers and those who are false. And so this chapter describes, as well as this section describes, the life of the righteous as well as the wicked. The righteous alone enjoy peace. And the wicked, no peace. 
saith the Lord. So the point number one is Isaiah speaks in this chapter about a strange phenomenon. Verse 1 and 2. Isaiah calls attention to an unusual thing that was happening. And what is this strange phenomenon? The righteous people are perishing. They die in the midst of their years. They are supposed to live long on the face of the earth. But this is strange. The exact opposite of what the scripture is speaking. Instead of living long on the face of the earth, they are killed. They are taken from the land of the living. The Lord himself is taking them out of the world. And nobody understands why. Is this a tragedy? And who are the righteous? We are told righteous are those who walk uprightly. They are men of serious piety. They keep God's covenant. They are true worshippers. They love God with all their heart, mind, soul and strength. Yet they are dying off. No one understands why this is happening. So God gives us the correct explanation of this phenomenon in verse 2. And we are told God is sparing them from the calamity that is about to come upon the wicked of the world. And this truth is illustrated by the death of Josiah, the good king. God took him before the judgment was poured out upon his own people. You can read this, 2 Kings 22, 9 and 10. Not only that, the Lord gives the explanation, the righteous, the upright, the servants of the Lord, as soon as they die, they enter into peace. This is no tragedy. They enter into peace and they enter into everlasting rest. Let me tell you, believers in Jesus Christ enter into peace and joy the moment they repent and put their trust in Jesus Christ. Then they enter into greater enjoyment of peace and joy the moment they die. Remember to the confessing thief, Jesus from the cross said today you'll be with me in paradise but the believers enter into the enjoyment of greatest peace and joy when Christ comes again when we shall see him as he is and we shall be made like him at that time we will have the fullest capacity to enjoy the peace and joy that Christ has achieved for us. What does the Bible say about the death of God's people? Let's turn to the book of Psalms, 116th Psalm. And let's read verse 15. 
precious in the sight of the Lord. Not in the sight of the wicked of the world. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It is precious. God says it is precious. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8. Now let's see what St. Paul is saying about saints' death. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body that is preferred to die. Because I tell you, the moment you die, you enter into greater enjoyment of God. That's why this preference, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and what? And at home with the Lord. For the saints to die means to be with the Lord. To enjoy everlasting peace. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. And take note so then you can say something when, when a saint dies. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's say that together. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Gain means profit. Beneficial. Riches. And verse 23. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart. And be with Christ. Which is better by far. Compared to the life he was living here. Well turn to the last book. The book of Revelation chapter 14. And verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven. Write. Blessed are the dead. Well you could use the word happy. Happy are the dead. Who die in the Lord. Yes. Says the spirit. The Holy Spirit. They will rest from their labor but the unbeliever has only anxiety when he lives here he enters into greater anxiety and misery the moment he dies Jesus said so Luke 16 then at the end of times when Christ returns they enter into the most terrible degree of anxiety and mental anguish. So Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Isaiah gives us a description of the life of the wicked. And so let us take a look at the life of the wicked. The anxious, fearful, terrible life of the wicked. See, they try to tell you it is the most happy life. But this is divine description. 
of the life of the wicked. Let me say in the church community there shall be the righteous and the wicked. It's always that way. The righteous are those who delight in keeping God's covenant. They love the Lord and keep his commandments. The wicked hate the kingdom of God. The wicked love the delusion of autonomy. In reality, the wicked are servants of the devil. In reality, the wicked has no freedom. They are pictured here as idol worshippers. So turn with me to verse 3. Verse 1 and 2, there is the description of the true people of God. Covenant keepers, faithful servants, righteous people who, whose walk is upright. And then notice, but you, it is a contrast. But you, you are different from the righteous. You are wicked, but you, it's a strong adversity. Who are these wicked people? Well, the language Holy Spirit uses is pretty bad language in the description of the wicked. They are called, verse 3, sons of a sorceress. Verse 3, they are children of adulterers. Verse 3, they are children of prostitutes. Verse 4, they are brood of rebels. And verse 4, they are children of deceit, liars. The wicked in the community, they are not the children of God. They are children of deceit. They are the children of the devil who is the father of all lies. Let me tell you, every unbeliever according to the scripture, every unbeliever in Jesus Christ is a believer in the devil and a servant of the devil. The good tree brings forth the good fruits. The bad tree brings forth bad fruit. That's the way it is. He readily obeys the will of the devil. So also these wicked people of Isaiah, Isaiah describes they do wickedness. Not only that, secondly, they are mockers. Look at verse 4. Whom are you mocking? At whom do you sneer? The word is open your mouth wide and then stick out the tongue. They mock God. They mock God's word. They mock God's servants. They speak against them. They persecute them. And they put them to death. They stick out their tongue in mocking gesture as well as in speaking evil. Cain mocked Abel. Ishmael mocked Isaac. Esau mocked Jacob. Jesus came to his own and we are told his own received him not. He expected a great welcome, but they did not welcome him. 
they mocked him and killed him when they realized he is the son. Third, the wicked are covenant breakers. Now look at verse 8. Take a look at the book. Forsaking me. That's what covenant breaker is. You confessed your relationship with him. But in reality, they broke the covenant. But that's not the end. We are told you made a covenant with those whose beds you love. You see, there is everyone is a covenant keeper. Either you keep the covenant of God or you keep the covenant of the devil. There is no neutral position for anybody. Either you are children of God or you are children of the devil. So they forsook the Lord. And then we are told they commit sexual immorality. Look at verse 5. You burn with the lust. Now isn't that a description of the wicked? They are always inflamed with the lust. St. Paul said it is better to marry than to what? Burn. That's the idea here. In fertility religions of the day, fertility religions of Baal worship, Listen to this. Worshippers engaged in sexual relations with the temple prostitutes, supposedly identifying in that way with gods and goddesses to help guarantee fertility in crops, animals, and families. They engaged in this sexual immorality to stimulate and spur these gods to bless them materially. Through such ritual sexual deviancies, the devotees were manipulating the gods, stimulating them to bless them temporally and materially. More you need material things, more you engage in what? Sexual immorality. This is called unholy communion. They committed such sexual immorality under every evergreen tree, symbol of life, in the ravines, on top of the hills, and so on. And you read about Numbers 25, 1 through 3. You could go home and read. Not only that, the wicked people collected multitudes of gods. You see, you leave the one true God and you collect multitudes of gods who cannot help you. Let this be a warning for anybody who wants to forsake the Lord Jesus Christ. You run from God to God to God to God and engage in sexual immorality of every kind. They collected large number of idols. More the better. Turn to verse 6. The idols among the smooth stones of the ravines are your portion. The Bible says our portion is the Lord. The Lord is our inheritance. <laughs> and their portions are these lifeless mute idols in the form of human genitalia. 
that's your lot that's your portion that's your inheritance these are dumb mute idols number 4 they manipulated gods by sacrificing their own children look at verse 5 you sacrifice your children in the ravines this was pagan practice and judah and israel embraced it this is called culture of death for their own happiness they sacrifice their own children the next generation is this not utter selfishness tell me what is it and today the worship of moloch is the abortion because parents for their own pleasure kill their own Ahaz did this I don't have time to read it I'll give you the text 2nd Chronicles 28 and verse 22 The wicked Manasseh king did it 2nd Chronicles 33 verse 6 And many Israelites did this 2nd Kings 23 verse 10 and Jeremiah 32 verse 35 Next these wicked people rejected the help of Yahweh and they sent ambassadors to far places making political alliances subjecting themselves to be the vassals of Tiglath-Pileser the 3 and so on and you read about it in 2 Kings 16 verse 7 what Ahaz did he rejected the word of Isaiah he rejected God's help and relied on political alliances to take care of his problem number 6 we are told here this is the divine revelation into the life of a wicked person and look at verse 10 you were weary tired out idolatry is weariness an unbeliever is weary of sin yet they refuse to acknowledge it is useless read it let me tell you idolatry is an addiction you cannot escape from it you are entombed in it to admit weariness and uselessness of serving idols is to return to the one who is able to save you therefore they will not admit that it is useless and it is wearisome number 7 idolatry means you live a life of fear every day of your life look at verse 11 the latter part Uh, 11 whom have you so dreaded and feared idolatry is a life of fear life of constant intimidation by the devil and the demons and you try to cover it up with throwing a party no all parties of unbelievers is a shroud to cover up the inner anxiety and fear and weariness 
and number eight about these wicked people, they engage in greater wickedness because God is not punishing them immediately. Look at verse 11. The latter part, is it not because I have long been one? Silent. Sometimes he waits for a long time to deal with it. And what does a wicked learn from that? Well, he doesn't see, he doesn't care. So the wicked continues to bring out the muck and mire out of the depths of his wicked heart. Greater and greater degree of sin he commits. You read Romans chapter 1. But you see, he's not going to be silent for too long. Turn with me to the book of Psalms chapter 50. And let me read to you from verse 17. You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. The preacher is proclaiming the word but you cast it behind you. Verse 18, when you see a thief, you join with him. Verse 19, you use your mouth for evil. Verse 20, you speak continually against your brother. Verse 21, these things you have done and I, what? Come on, kept silent. That is, he did not act against you. You thought I was altogether like you. But I will rebuke you and accuse you to your face. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with none to rescue. The long-suffering of God is to lead you toward repentance, but the exact opposite happens. Number nine, there is the expose of the impotency of idols. Idols cannot save you. Look at verse 13. When you cry out for help. Notice it's interesting language. Let what? Your collection of idols save you. Now you find this also in Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 38. We preached from that chapter. Go ahead. Call the collection of idols to save you but I will not save you because you left the only savior to follow after idols notice it says these idols the wind will carry all of them off a mere breath will blow them away that means idols are what nothings nothings the psychologies and philosophies and big tomes and big ideas of man is what? Nothings. And science cannot save you. Nothing can save you. But in the hour of your misery and wretchedness, God says, go and pray to the collection of idols. It says in verse 12, and they will not what? Benefit you. It is unprofitable. Jesus said, what does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Remember the confrontation of Elijah with the prophets of Baal. They cried out, 1 Kings 18. For a long time they cried out. No answer. 
They are dumb, they are mute, they are dead, they are nothings. They are wind. And yet you are deceived into thinking that these idols will save you. Number 10. Though he is silent, he will judge the wicked in due time. Verse 12 says, I will what? Expose your righteousness in quotation marks and your works. God sees all your sins and there is coming a day he will expose it to you. This is what you did in secret. Their righteousness is a sham and their righteousness is shame. All your righteousness is like what? Filthy rags. In due time, in judgment, he will expose the wickedness of the wicked. And you read it in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. The one who is seated on the throne, the great white throne, and the books will be opened. And the books will have all the record of every sin you ever committed. There is a day of exposure. Number 11 about the wicked, what is it? Verse 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea or the restless sea. What a picture of a wicked man. In all his mirth and happiness and joy, he is like a restless sea. And what is he doing? He's bringing forth moment by moment muck and mud and mire. There is no peace. Who said? Pastor said. Who said? Saith the Lord. The same sentence you find in Isaiah 48 verse 22. Let's turn to the book of Mark. Take a look at the muck and the mud and the mire. The wicked brings out every moment of his life. Jesus said this. Mark 7 and verse 21. For from within... Out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And all these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. This is total depravity of the wicked. The third point I want to speak to you is the life of the believer. The life of the believer. Peace. There is no peace for the wicked, but there is peace for the contrite. If you look at Isaiah 57 and verse 14, New International Version gives you a subtitle. Comfort for the contrite. And may this be true of you, everyone who is listening to my voice this morning. May this be true of you, and I'm going to speak about it. It's your choice, I said. Peace or anxiety. Life or death. It's your choice. Misery, worry, fear, judgment. It's your choice. I say, assess before all the wicked the way of peace. And all wicked people, if there are any here, should listen. Because it is still 
God offers you a way out. You can make a choice. Look at verse 14. There is a way built up. A built up way for the people of God. Build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. We need a way to God, to peace, to joy, to life. We need a way. But apparently here is revealed there is a way which is totally smooth. All problems are taken away from it. All stumbling blocks taken away from it. Look at the roads in Louisiana and other places. People cannot travel. But here is a road that is clean and smooth. All hindrances are removed. This is the way to God. Our hindrances, our sin, our guilt, our unrighteousness. How can we rid of these stumbling blocks? God is holy, yet we are guilty sinners. But thank God, a way to God is prepared for us. Let's praise the Lord for it. And this is the way of the suffering servant revealed in chapter 53. But let's read about this way in Isaiah 35, already intimated there. And verse 8, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. Verse 9, no lion will be there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. Hallelujah. They will enter Zion with singing. Zion there means God's presence. They will come walking this way. Hallelujah. Which is opened up for them. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now let me read to you this important passage from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Turn with me there if you want to understand this way. Beginning with verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, how? By a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain. That is his body. Hallelujah. In other words, through Jesus Christ, through his life and work, which prepared a way for us now to come to the Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Come in joy, come in confidence, come in peace. Hallelujah. So listen to the gospel as it is stated in verse 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also, well, praise God for that, but also he dwells with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. For what purpose? To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And here we are introduced to a transcendent God. A God who is no part of this world or its processes. Transcendent over time. He is eternal. Transcendent over space. He is high and lifted up. And transcendent over our own character. He is holy. We are talking about God who is self-existing, self-sufficient. God the creator out of nothing. He created all. God the sovereign. God the Redeemer. 
transcendent God. He stands over against the world to judge and also to save. Secondly, he is also immanent. In other words, this one who is holy other and separate from creation comes down to our midst, to our own conditions. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And he is Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, 14. God with us. God with us that you can spit on him and crucify him. God with us that you can touch him and be healed. God with us. He dwells with people of a certain character. He dwells with the broken heart. He dwells with the crushed ones. He dwells with the humble. He dwells with those who repent of their sins. Not with everybody he dwells. He will not dwell with the arrogant or the idol worshiper. Let the wicked one forsake his ways and the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and he will pardon him freely and he will dwell with him. Remember Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Turn with me to the book of Psalms. Let's listen to what David is saying. Psalm 34 and verse 18. I am speaking to you the way of peace and the way of joy. Hallelujah. The way of eternal life. Psalm 34 verse 18. This is what David says. The Lord, the Lord, the transcendent Lord. The covenant Lord, the self-existing God, is close to the broken-hearted and what? Saves those who are crushed by the weight of sin. We told you, idolatry and life of sin is weariness. All right, what is the purpose of this immanence, this incarnation? This identification of the eternal God with man in human flesh. What does it say? Let's turn to it. It tells you the purpose to revive the spirit of the lowly. And to revive the heart of the contrite. And that word revive in Hebrew means to make alive. To save. To restore. It is used four times in 2 Kings 8, verse 1, and three times in verse 5. It has reference to restoring a dead boy to life. The problem with the sinner is he cannot make himself alive. He cannot save himself. He cannot give himself peace by positive thinking. Nothing can save him. He's dead. Cut off from God. What's the purpose of this incarnation? To make you alive. To give you eternal life. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 that speaks about 
this wonderful thing. Speaks about man is dead in trespasses and sins. He's disobedient. He's led by the evil spirit. And he is object of divine wrath. But then verse 4, take a look at it. But because of his great love for us. God who is what? Rich in mercy. Come on, what else? Made us alive with Christ. That's the word. Made us alive. You cannot save yourself. Salvation is of the Lord and salvation is by grace through faith. To revive us. To make us alive. Or look at verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For we are God's what? Workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. But the question is, how can a holy God save sinners who are wicked? How can a holy God save sinners and be just? That's the question. And be just. The answer is found in Romans 3. Take a look at verse 18 of Isaiah 57. What does it say? Let's read it together. I have seen his ways. So all our sin is before. He sees it all. I have seen his ways. But I will heal him. I will save him. I will forgive him. I will justify him. Hallelujah. I will raise him up from the dead. And yet he says. Look at verse 16. Now take a look at it. Let your eyeballs see it. It says, I will not accuse him. I will not drag him to court. Imagine he drags you to court. You think you will win? I'm guilty. But he says, I will not accuse you. I will not be angry with you forever. He does not accuse us. He is not angry with us. We are the idolaters, we are the covenant breakers, we are the wicked, we are the guilty, we are the enemies. But how can God is not accusing us and not angry with us? So the answer is, because of this incarnational life of Jesus Christ, because of the suffering servants, substitute suffering servant. How can he justify us and be just? Here it is. Isaiah 53, 4, 5, and 10. Surely he, that is the suffering servant, who is the son of David, he is the anointed one, he is Jesus Christ. That's what Philip the evangelist told who? The Ethiopian eunuch. Surely he, Jesus Christ, took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But here is the interpretation by Isaiah in the Old Testament. He was pierced, what? For our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed, saved, justified, forgiven, accepted, adopted, united with Jesus Christ forever and ever. Christ the transcendent one became incarnate. He became the crushed one. Verse 5 and 10 of Isaiah 53. He became the crushed one in our place. God's anger was poured upon him. 
God's wrath was poured upon him. He cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He came to revive us, to save us, to heal us, to forgive us, to justify us, to reconcile us, to make us children of God, heirs of God, and joined heirs with Christ, to give us eternal life and everlasting peace and joy. This is what we mean when we say God so loved the world. It's your choice. I just exposed the way of evil, the way of idolatry. It ha- there is no benefit. The idols are nothing. They are dumb, they are mute. There is no God beside me. The only true and living God. And not only that, all religions are a way of hopelessness. There is no other. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And there is no peace for the wicked, saith the Lord. It's like the sea. Always in constant agitation. And brings out muck and mire and mess. Sin increases. Not decreases. Have to do more and more. And it's an addiction. And only Jesus Christ can save you. And he is transcendent, but he is also immanent. He became incarnate, and he is our Savior. And he'll save you. Hallelujah. He, he saved you. He dwells with those who are brokenhearted and contrite in spirit, meaning those who repent of their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray that you save some people this morning. May they trust in you and be saved. May they be brought out of their death and misery and anxiety and fear and may they be brought into the kingdom of God. Kingdom of light. Kingdom of peace. Kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio presenting this message from the Bible series on the book of Isaiah. Come back soon for more Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.